The mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today, we are going to talk about uh, one of my recent experiences with one of our clients, um, local client. I was able to go and do a testing session in the weight room. Woo-hoo. For one of our high school football um, teams that we have. So uh, that was great. And I'm excited to talk about that and just kind of share uh, the flow of everything, how we decided, you know, what types of equipment they had and like, which was, you know, an obstacle for some high school teams. Um, and this one in particular, you know, we, we had some things we needed to work around. So that was really fun. And then our closing segment today, we're going to do another version of What's Up? Where, like it, yeah. Where I ask you supplement continuation. Questions. Yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Probably a short podcast today, but uh, this would be great for your your drive anywhere, or maybe your drive to work. Yeah, or maybe you're walking or riding a bike uh, on a treadmill or a stationary bike somewhere. Yeah, you know? maybe a gym. So that's great. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been in a weight room coaching. How did that feel yesterday? Man. I guess you weren't super coaching, but still. No, but it felt great. It was awesome. Um, I, I was thrilled to be there. Um, I, I know, I guess it was kind of strange maybe for the athletes because they, <laughs> had, this man? they had never met me before, <laughs> um, and I had never met any of them before either. So, um, yeah, but their coaching staff was really great. Got to speak with them a little bit beforehand, and uh, we, we knew one of the assistants who has been in the office a few times mm-hmm. to speak with us, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was great. Um obviously it's well not obvious, but um it's the summertime here um mm-hmm. in Florida. So it was super hot. Right. We did it in the late afternoon, like four PM. Yeah. And the last week has been really it's oh, yeah. been in like the high nineties. Yeah, 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 yeah. And humid. Very humid. Yeah. So um we're in this weight room <laughs> and they had no air conditioning in this weight room. They had like one fan. And it was off in the corner of the room, right? Um, so, needless to say, I was sweating mm-hmm. in there. It was a sweaty day. Yeah. So, I'll just take everybody through the whole experience here. All right. Um, we had to, to start. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just going to go through here. So, testing day, um, they want us to do in the weight room. And um, we were going to do two lifts. Right, we're gonna test two lifts. So when I got into the room, not not a huge setup and not a lot of equipment, but um, you know, usable enough for you know small group settings, um, or you could probably get like offense defense on there, just depending on how big your team is. So just based on the equipment that they had, um, basically the room was split in half. Sorry for our listeners who can't see me, uh, use my hands here, but. One half of the room was, I, I want to say, almost solely dedicated to upper body, and the other half of the room dedicated to uh, more lower body or total body movements, okay? Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is one half of the room had fixed benches for bench press and fixed benches for incline press. So the mm. bench itself was welded to the metal frames that go for where the, the bar is racked. Same thing for the incline. Uh, on that side, there were some other machines. Um, I think there was like an um, like an adductor machine, a leg hmm. extension. Uh, okay. I think there was maybe one pulley or a uh, 
uh, leg curl machine was over there too. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was one half of the room. The other half was, uh, I don't know, quote unquote, your functional <laughs> side of it, right? <laughs> Four giant uh, wooden platforms, right? Um, okay. Like lifting platforms? Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of? So, so wood in the middle and then the two yeah. landing zones on the outside. Four giant platforms. They were all like put together, right? So you had like, mm-hmm. uh, have you ever been to the Four Corners um, in the U.S., you know, in the American Southwest? No. Never been there? Okay. So <laughs> it's essentially kind of like how they were all put together, right? Everything okay. was connected. Interesting. Yeah. So on the two that were closest to the wall, there were mirrors on the wall. They had two squat racks on there, right? Squat racks had pull-up bars on them, um, and then the obviously you could squat, but there was a little bit of space on the backside. So that's a breakdown of the room, okay? Now, <laughs> what I thought was, looking around, the coach was asking me, hey, what are we going to test today, right? Not a lot of information up front, so we're just kind of going in there. So they were asking you what, what the testing right, was right, going to be. Right. Okay. So they were asking me. They knew they wanted to do weight room testing, not a ton of information up front, but we got there early enough because we wanted to scope out the room and get mm-hmm. things set up. So based on that, um, I decided we were going to do bench press and then um, deadlift. Okay. Um, we went bench press first and then deadlift. Reason why I did bench press first over deadlift was because in some um, in-house case studies – that were done at my uh, last Division One job. Mm-hmm. We did um, the effects of bench press before back squat, and the effects of back squat before bench press. Mm-hmm. In in our small in-house um, study anecdotal <laughs> case study, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's not anecdotal. It, no, we had we, we had data. Okay, so yeah. it was a case study. Um, it was determined based on the numbers, uh, based on the information that we got, all the research um, as far as like force output goes. That bench press didn't affect your back squat, but back squat affected negatively affected your bench press Is performance. It back squat or deadlift? You did back squat. We did back squat in this study that I'm talking about here. This is my reasoning of why I chose to do deadlift, right? So because there was no no data to suggest from our case study that bench press negatively affected uh, back squat, Mm -hmm. I played along with that to do deadlift. Another reason why I chose to do deadlift with bench press is because there are only two squat racks. Right. But there were four usable platforms in space for us to do deadlift. And all of that, that selection there of exercises also came after the fact that they told me we were going to have 80 student People. athletes to test. 80 Young football players. Yes, yes. So 80 high school athletes we had to test. So, yeah, that played into my decision where Mm -hmm. I was like, what do we have the most equipment for? Yeah, that's a lot of people all at once trying to test. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think doing bent, well, I guess regardless of which is first, do you think either would have an impact from like a grip perspective or like grip strength? Well, they're they're different though, right? So bench press, compression on the Mm -hmm. wrist. And then deadlift would be traction. So, yeah. 
Um, no, I don't think that bench press would be um, as detrimental mm-hmm. um, as far as grip goes. Uh, I think back squat, I'm sorry, deadlift would probably make your grip more tired right. to do it first. Um, so, And also, if you're doing bench press right, um, or you're trying to use it as a whole body movement, it's almost like a, a warm up for your lower body, yeah. right? An extended yeah. type of thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we choose. We chose, um, for all those reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my own, um, experience, Makes what sense. equipment we have and like, gosh, and the space. Yeah. And the space. Yeah. So, so that was that. Right. And, um, the format that the coaches had used in previous years for testing, um, I, I didn't want to change too much of how everything was going on, but the information they gave me was typically they, they go from 135 for a certain amount of reps, uh, 185, and then 225. This is how they build up. Okay. That's how they had typically built up in the past. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think at some point, maybe it's even the 225, or mm-hmm. maybe it was the 185 and 225, they, they do uh, reps to failure. And this is always on a test day. That's what they typically do. Yeah, for their okay. test days, um, which was... Till failure. Yeah, which is kind of shocking, right? But you wouldn't want to, like... Because to do failure and then do another failure, and potentially if you did it at 135, you're doing three failures in a row, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, that plays on your ability to actually do things with correct technique right. and... Do it to a number that truly represents you. Yeah. Wait, so I have a question. Yep. So in this testing, maybe you're getting to this and I'm just jumping the gun. Go ahead. Was it just testing how many reps at each weight they could get? Or was it that was what they were warming up to and they were eventually maxing out? No. In their scenario, um, originally, before I was there, Mm -hmm. they were trying to derive their max from how many reps reps they could do at the, at that weight. At the heaviest weight. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Um, that they could do, right? So anyways, the, yeah, so it was kind of different, that, that whole scenario, their whole testing. Yeah, that's setup. why I w- wanted to clarify because mm-hmm. I think most people, when they hear testing, they think we're maxing out or finding a one rep max for a specific lift. Right, right. Okay. Um, so they were trying to find a rep max at gotcha. a certain weight. Okay, carry on. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the setup that they had for that was... Um, was with those three certain weights. So what I told them, which made sense to me in my head, was, okay, I like the setup, that, and your players are going to be familiar with those you know, jumps mm-hmm. in, in weight. Okay, that's fair. What we did was we did three reps at 135. Mm-hmm. If you could complete that, we moved to three reps at 185. Mm-hmm. If you could complete that, we moved to three reps at 225. If at any point in time within those... You only got two reps, one rep, zero reps. We just reverted downward. Mm-hmm. If you got zero at 135, that was still reported. And your max, I guess, they would set it at 135, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, for just something for you to work up towards. Right. So if you ended up getting zero at 185, we just reverted back to three reps at 135. And that was their quote-unquote max. Yes, okay. yes. Um, however, obviously some, some kids could do more on bench press, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we took that three reps at 135, 185, 225. And then I told them after that, we're going to progress to one rep every 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. So we went from 225 to 245 for one, right? If they could do the three. If they at, could do the three okay. at 225, right? 
And then if they completed the one at 245, we move up to 265. Gotcha. However, I will say that once we went from 265, I went to 275 next. Yeah. Um, that, the reason why I did that, though, is because of what equipment we had around, mm-hmm. right? So we already had 245s. Uh, sorry, we have four 45s in total at, at each benching station. Mm-hmm. Two twenty fives, one for each side, um, and then we had four tens, right? Right. So we already had all that stuff up there. So I'm just trying to build on what we already have, mm-hmm. right? So obviously, if you can make two twenty five, you've got two forty fives on each side. Then we put the ten on each side for two forty five. Add another ten on each side for two sixty five, and then we'll just take that off. Put the twenty fives on for two seventy five. Mm-hmm. Hey, guess what? We make that. You're going to two ninety five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're just trying to use what equipment we had in there, and that was the setting that we had or the yeah. situation that we made up. Dang. Yeah. Those yeah. guys are strong. Well, some of them, yeah, for sure. Um, so that was the situation that we had for a bench press and deadlift. Right. right? That was the setup there. Um, so let me take you through the ops there. Do you have any questions no. before I go into the ops thing? No, it makes <laughs> sense to me. Okay. Seems like a fun time. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so the we did a warm-up first. Um a good blood flow, range of motion mm-hmm. uh, type of warm-up. We did it in space. So uh, I have a warm-up that I created over the years um, uh, as a head strength coach just to get me in a good weight room type of thing, get you moving, mm-hmm. uh, work on the ankle complex a little bit, get some dynamic range of motion stuff, uh, T-spine rotation, any of that stuff, right? Yeah. So. We did this warm-up. Probably takes about three minutes or so to do it, but it's it's nonstop mm-hmm. uh, type of movement. And then um, after that, we went into a warm-up. Now, both lifts, we did 10 reps of just the bar mm-hmm. just to get us to get into the movement, the... right? Mm-hmm. But it also allowed me to do some coaching a little bit at the very beginning. Um, so, yeah. That's good. I like that. Yeah, warm-ups are important too. I, I feel like if I don't warm up, I don't max out often or, or do max lift often. But if I do or when I did, if I didn't warm up for at least like 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes right. with like the dynamic warm up right. and then getting the barbell in your hands and mm. getting like doing some primers and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I was not maxing out. Right. It wasn't happening. So we did the 10 reps, uh, just the bar, mm-hmm. and then we'd go into um, our first set. Mm-hmm. What was good about the setup, I think um, – was we only had three bench pressing stations, right? And I would say we had about about 20, 25 people. Yeah, let's say between 20 and 30, I think, mm-hmm. between each group. Okay. So it, it worked out. I mean, you're going to wait a little bit longer. But mm-hmm. for a testing scenario, I'm glad they had more rest time. To be honest, right, right, like I'm glad it took them a little more time to get back to the barbell. Yeah, you don't want them like trying to if knock not, out a set every yeah. two seconds. If not, if we had two guys at a station, these guys would be trying to like burn out and like yeah. just go back to back and get it done, right? So I'm kind of glad we had a little bit longer yeah. rest period for everyone. For stress, yeah. So we went the ten reps, and then I would uh, bring them all together before our first um, quote unquote test set at the one thirty five. Just give them a couple pointers, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the the two pointers that I gave them for the bench press um, was try to break the bar, uh, almost mm-hmm. like you're snapping a pencil in half so we can create some torque in the joints, yeah. give you a little protective 
uh, of the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one was to drive your feet into the ground, um, like you're squatting, yep. like you're coming up from squat, right? Mm-hmm. So I want the glutes to be activated, get your core uh, a little more stiff, right? So you're trying to get more um, voluntary muscle contraction from your whole body, mm-hmm. make it a total body movement for your bench press. Right, so those are my two main cues for them. Um, luckily, we had coaches spotting, um, so I didn't have to really talk about spotting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. And the coaches were, they were fantastic during that. They were with them mm-hmm. like the entire time. Good. So um, we have very positive um, setup in that, in that way. Yeah. How do you feel like those cues were received? Um, honestly, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I feel like... I feel like it's tough. It was a tough scenario for for me not knowing them mm-hmm. and them not knowing me for me to come in and tell them. Hey, focus on this. Yeah, yeah for me yeah. to come in and give them coaching cues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were there for anyone who wanted to grab them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not necessarily sure how much of it was retained or used in the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Makes sense. And if they were probably maybe a little nervous and if they're trying to maybe think about doing something new or thinking of a cue they haven't heard of before or having to try and implement something else, Mm -hmm. it probably didn't stick in their brain very long, I would assume. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of mental, um, like, I think, like, interpersonal and um, societal, like, things going on, Mm -hmm. you know? So, like, I I don't know what, what their motivation was, what their intentions were, what the, you know retention was of anything that I said. Yeah. There, there's probably a lot of things happening mentally, yeah. right, with those yeah. guys. Just curious. Just being that it's testing, mm-hmm. being that you're around. Whether you're a freshman, you're in a new setting, you know, are yeah. you trying to impress a coach? Are you trying to, like... Uh, impress your peers. Yeah, like, um, what do they say? Like, trying to mark your position within Kinda. the group type of thing, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot going on. But um, I, I thought it was uh, still a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the setting for that. And uh, kind of how the flow went um, for deadlift was similar to bench, right? So mm-hmm. first group comes in, we warm up, they go to bench press, right? Right. Uh, they warm up, I give them the coaching cues, I'm coaching throughout. Uh, they get done, they go report their number to uh, another one of our team members. My colleague. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, who is also there. And um, yeah. they get done with that, and then they go over to deadlift, right? So for deadlift, once a group is ready to move to deadlift and um, another group had not come in yet, I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. We'd go over uh, the warm-up. So again, it was 10, 10 reps. I would go over a couple coaching cues beforehand of how to do the warm-up and mm-hmm. kind of set yourself up for the mindset of the deadlift. Everyone did t- their 10 reps at just the bar, got your movement down. We'd put 135 on the bar, and then I would talk about getting set up for deadlift, um, uh, positioning of the hands and feet, and getting yourself into a set position to actually lift it off the ground, and then what the execution of that movement was Mm -hmm. uh, to lift it off the ground. Really, the the two things that I focused on in that movement in particular um, were how to get set up for the movement, how to pull yourself into this right position. Um, Talked about having your your back more like a ramp instead Mm -hmm. of a plank. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, talked about execution, lifting it off the ground smoothly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I focus on with that is um, not necessarily being slow off the ground, 
but being controlled right or, or at least being smooth and not like going into that uh moment of instant like stiffness right what people like yeah. to do they just they start real loose and then they just try to snap into position as they lift it yeah i, I like to talk about getting into position first and then lifting right uh, almost like a split second i know that i'm in position and then i lift it yeah but the main thing there coming off the ground is making sure that shoulders hips and the barbell are all moving at the same time right right in the same direction yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh deadlift is one of the ones that Oh, it always scares me when people are trying to lift heavy. Like at the, just seeing people at the gym deadlifting, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't go up to them, but I just, uh, there's some things I see of like they're gripping and ripping it or their, their back is, um, they look like the hunchback of Notre Dame and yeah. like all this stuff that I'm just like, uh, that looks like it's going to hurt tomorrow. I know. I know. Right. So I, I think there's a difference between being like a, a power lifter and having a competition lift yes than having a training lift right, right. like your training um a form technique should not look like your competition one uh -uh. right you want your competition to look like your training right but right. sometimes it doesn't always work like that yeah um but it cannot be vice versa right no, otherwise you'll probably be injured all the time or yeah. just the, yeah. like you're not getting the most out of your workout because you're probably doing it inefficiently. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, well, deadlift is, deadlift's a hard one, I think, technique-wise. Yeah. I mean, and, and same thing with bench and coaching cues there. Like, I think it was hard to just come in one day mm -hmm. and really establish any of that stuff or like get them to yeah. um, buy in or, or execute some of the things that I was saying to them. Yeah. Uh, it's really tough, right? But yeah. like, I think we got some good work in. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was able to, you know, run back and forth and, and, you know, be coaching guys up like the entire time. So um, that, that was exciting. That's um, awesome. Again, it reminded me of, it reminded me of um, being at CSUN uh, with track and field. Cause I remember some days I was just like, you were at, everywhere, at every platform. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's cool. But so saw some really good things um, uh, where guys were like making really good decisions mm -hmm. or like doing things really well and like having a lot of um, a lot of uh, focused effort or like good strain, quote unquote, if you will, or mm -hmm. like good fight, you know, to, yeah. to, to maintain something. Nice. Um, so saw some really good things yeah. um, there. So it was a very positive experience, I yeah. think. You love to see that in younger athletes mm -hmm. too, like kind of working up that gym, not necessarily etiquette, but just like work ethic um, mm -hmm. in the weight room. Yeah. And one other thing I thought was great was um, just meeting the coaching staff, right? Like mm -hmm. I thought they were all doing a really good job. I thought they all had really good rapport with mm -hmm. their athletes and stuff. Um that's great. Good gym etiquette. You know, there there were coaches really emphasizing um, organization of the mm -hmm. weight room mm -hmm. once they had finished, you know, something. So I, I thought that was very positive to yeah. see as well. Yeah. I think that's great because you're, if you go to any other gym, yeah. then they have those, you know, things in the back of their mind mm -hmm. of it's not just about the workout. It's also about the space and taking care of the equipment right. and the environment because that's going to make sure that I can maintain the space and continue to work out in right. this environment. Absolutely. I mean, that's something I think it's neglected at um, other gyms, you know, like uh, public gyms mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could call them private gyms too, but yeah, it like, depends on where you are. I think a lot of that stuff gets um, thrown to the wayside where like clients or, um, 
members mm-hmm. are just allowed to like do whatever they want, mm-hmm. which like I guess you're you're paying for it, but also it's not gonna it's not gonna stay in the in the best shape that it can be if you're not contributing to the upkeep yeah, of it. Yeah, you're still suffering. A little bit. I mean, there, there's there should be some accountability or responsibility of each member to do something, you know, that is um, preserving. Yeah. The life of the equipment. Yeah. I think the gyms that I've been to, and I, I think we mentioned this before, um, I did CrossFit for a while, and I think that was heavily emphasized. And I think it was just the environment. It was able to be heavily emphasized. Mm-hmm. But even the gym I go to now, which is more of just like a regular resistance training, bodybuilding type gym, um, people are very good about taking care of the equipment mm-hmm. and leaving it how they found it, cleaning it off. Um, not slamming things, not dropping things. Um, so there are ones that I think people care a little bit more about, but then, you know, I've been to other ones that are more of like a crunch or a 24 hour fitness. And some of that stuff is all of not taken care of very well. Yeah. So just, I think it depends where you go, but I think that's great that they're instilling that in those young athletes at, at an early time so that they can take that to wherever they go next. Yeah. Um, you mentioned not dropping stuff. I think it's important <laughs> for me to talk about um, just to um, say that on our deadlifts, we mm-hmm. dropped at the top, hundred percent. Yeah. But not the empty barbell. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we we had bumpers on um, yeah. for all the deadlifts, so we definitely were dropping at the top. And yeah. then one thing I think that's good for is it reemphasizes getting reset mm-hmm. for each lift. Mm-hmm. I like that. Also, the fact that the lift is not about you putting the bar down. Mm-hmm. The lift is about you lifting it up right right that can become part of it right at Uh, a later time it can it can or if you want to like challenge uh grip strength Mm -hmm. um or endurance i guess you could say that um and just being under control Mm -hmm. um like honestly maybe you want to add some type of like eccentric component to like the hip hinge Mm -hmm. uh from the top of the deadlift before you put it back down you could do that you could you could hold on to the bar Mm -hmm. um but for the testing purpose, yeah, we yeah. were gonna we were gonna reset every mm-hmm. time, drop at the top. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of recap, let me take you through like the the flow um, of how everything went together. So as I mentioned, we had one group come in, they warmed up, we went over bench press. So warm up a bench press, the execution of it. Once you had finished your last set of bench press, reporting your number to our colleague who was there um, taking data uh, for us, and then the entire group moved over to deadlift. We did our warm-up for deadlift, uh, went over coaching cues again. We went through the execution of our test sets and then reporting your number to our colleague. After that, that group is out. So mm-hmm. once a group moved from bench press to deadlift and their warm-up had already started, um, I was warming up the next group, and then they would go into the warm-up bench press where I would go back, talk about coaching cues before the uh, deadlifting test, mm-hmm. and then I'd come back over to bench press, talk about coaching cues before their testing sets on bench press, and yeah. then that just flowed until we were done, you know, two hours later, mm-hmm. 80 student-athletes later, you know, we were we were done ready at that to, point. So, yeah, it was awesome. Nice. Uh, so we had a good, good experience there, and it's awesome to, uh, you know, for us to be able to contribute to that with uh, our local clientele. Yeah, that is that's nice. Yeah, it's nice to see see them in face to face in person. Mm-hmm. It was a good experience. I yeah. was really happy about it. So, um, cool. All right, let's Thanks move. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Let's move to the, uh, the the last segment here. More of our supplement talk with uh, Sups. What's up? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
I want to know, Claire, beta alanine, mm -hmm. what is it? Should I use it? When should I use it? It depends. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to put another disclaimer before we go through these supplements. Um, just as a reminder. Food first. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, food first is great. Um, yeah. Supplements are, as the name suggests, they're supplementary. Um, they're, they should not be the foundation of your diet. Um, but just a reminder to make sure that if you are taking a supplement, consult a registered sports dietitian first and make sure they are third-party tested. Boom. Which, if you are seeing a dietitian, um, they will most likely and should always recommend only third-party tested supplements. Boom. Otherwise, who knows what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, like Forrest Gump. You never know what you're going to get. But it's not <laughs> chocolate. No. It's contaminated supplements. Oh. Um, okay, so beta alanine. Um, beta alanine is, from a research perspective, shown to be most likely beneficial for athletes that are engaging in more of that, like, high-intensity intermittent activity. Um, such as? Such as? What sports here? So I've used it in swimming, especially sprinters. Mm -hmm. um, th think of like your field sports. So maybe soccer, lacrosse, field hockey, football. Um, from a running perspective, maybe more of those like mid-distance runners. Um, so anything for the most part kind of lasting like less than 10 minutes. Basketball? Basketball. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Volleyball? Tennis, volleyball. Or is volleyball too... Um rest you could do there. volleyball um i think maybe it would depend on the position mm -hmm. uh or maybe like obviously you can't always predict how long a volley is going to last of course not so yeah. okay. um there are probably better supplements for volleyball but right. you could use it if maybe you're having issues with particular things beta alanine essentially helps to increase muscle carnosine what is that yes what is it what is that so that is a dipeptide which basically means that it has two residues um, from amino acids, and um, I'm sure we've probably talked about it before, but amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. There are 20 of them, nine of which are essential, meaning you have to get them through your diet. Your body cannot make them. Yep. Um, so essentially, it helps to increase that the concentration of carnosine in your muscles. So that can help with buffering hydrogen, um, out of the muscles, it helps with the ability to do that. So kind of helping from like the lactic acid um, <clears throat> standpoint, um, thus delaying muscle fatigue um, and just help can also help maybe facilitate that recovery during in between um, times of high intensity exercise. So that's one of the reasons why it can be helpful in those sports where you're kind of like stop and go. You're not necessarily moving all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so it can help kind of buffer that and delay fatigue a little bit. Um, I know there's been, there's like mixed um, reviews or, or just mixed feelings of like how long that can help for and occur for. I'm sure it's probably different in athlete to athlete depending on particular factors. But generally, beta alanine is helpful for the majority of athletes who are engaging in that high-intensity kind of intermittent exercise. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Let's move to the next one. Um, nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. What does it do? Mm -hmm. And besides a supplement, are there any, like, natural food sources that can help with this mm -hmm. um, that might be 
I don't know. I, I don't a cheaper option mm-hmm. for you. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point because supplements are not cheap depending on where you get them, especially if they're third-party tested. They're typically not cheap. Um, yeah. But nitric oxide is from nitrates, so it's converted to nitric oxide in the body, um, and it can help increase blood flow. That's probably the biggest function it has is a vasodilator, so increasing blood flow. Um, it can improve lung function. There's been some evidence that it can potentially help improve muscle contraction or, like, strengthen a muscle contraction. Let's go. Um, but I would say probably the vasodilation is the majority of what it does, mm-hmm. and that's the majority of what people use it for yep. is the vasodilation effects. Um, so a lot of what it's been used in is maybe more like mid-distance to longer-distance um, more cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory, intense exercise. So I would say things like swimming, running, um, whether it be mid-distance to long-distance. Um, so this is kind of more of like your, your more endurance, longer endurance events. Um, in terms of supplements, obviously you can get like powders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You can also find it in like beetroot juice yeah. or beets. So that's a good one. Um I don't have any others written down, but there there are also some others. But beetroot juice is a really, really good one. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Beet Elite has a supplement for it, I and it's so beetroot too, yeah. juice. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, like beetroot powders are, are yeah. pretty popular. That's yeah, where you can find if those. you can get past the taste. Um, yeah, mix it with something that you really enjoy. Yeah, you can maybe mix it with, like, fruit juice or something like that, or just yeah. plug your nose and chug it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I don't remember. But um, I know this is on the next one, but the next one we're going to talk about also has nitrates. So that could be another um, cheaper option than maybe a supplement. But um, depending on the type, which we'll we'll talk about that in a second too, is maybe not as cheap as as some people might think. Right. So saying that, let's just move into the next one here. Mm -hmm. So uh, people love chocolate, right? And people like Mm -hmm. to have dark chocolate (laughs) because they think that – because it's been uh, promoted as being healthy for you. Mm -hmm. However, there is a certain percentage that you need to have of dark chocolate, uh, Mm -hmm. being the cacao – you need to have um, a certain percentage of that to make it the healthy version for mm-hmm. you. What is that percentage? Or to get the most benefits. Right. Yeah. Um, so at a minimum, I would say 70 to 72% is is good. Mm-hmm. Optimally, I would say 80 to 85%. Um, just speaking in terms of the less sugar is going to be in those with a higher cocoa or cacao percentage. So the higher the cocoa percentage, the lower the sugar percentage. And the cocoa is where you're really getting the majority of those like health benefits and the nutrients that you want to get from a health perspective versus the higher the sugar is just going to probably make it taste better. (laughs) Right. Can we pause for a second and talk about why there is this cocoa versus cacao i there i think they're different things yeah well like tell which one is what is what cacao is like the actual um that's the plant yeah that's the plant itself right yeah okay what is cocoa besides hot cocoa um i think the the cocoa is what the, the the beans so i think they both refer to cocoa is 
taken from the cacao plant and i think it go it refers to it after it's been roasted i want to say okay or after it's been through some sort of process now okay uh, and i don't even know if i can say this on our podcast Should but probably know that um now that you've told us the difference here um what the people want to know is are you in love with the cocoa i love cocoa okay all right yeah i'm cocoa for cocoa chocolate not Cocoa Puffs, though. Okay, just for the record, can you say, quote, I'm in love with the cocoa? I am in love with the cocoa. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. I don't um, know if we can put that on the podcast. Me maybe not. Does. Let's not. Um. Anyway, so dark chocolate is higher in phytonutrients, mm-hmm. right? Which one of the phytonutrients is nitrates. Yes. So going back to what we were just saying, nitrates in the body are converted into nitric oxide, which are a pretty potent vasodilator. Mm-hmm. So dark chocolate is good for that. It's also high in flavonoids, which can help with the reduction of the risk of heart disease or cardiovascular issues. Um, there's potential antioxidant effects, um, primarily because it, it also, um, or anti-inflammatory effects because it has antioxidant properties. Gotcha. Um, so dark chocolate's great. As with anything, I would say, you know, this doesn't mean eat six bars of dark, dark chocolate a day, (laughs) you know, because some people like all or nothing here. Um, in moderation, if you have like a couple squares of dark chocolate a day, great. Like maybe I'd say, I don't know, somewhere between one to four, let's say, on average. I think that's pretty um, fair. I think that's pretty fair, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe you spread it out throughout the day. Maybe you like to have something sweet after lunch or dinner, mm-hmm. have a square or two after that. Um, if you want to use it more for maybe the nitrate effect, maybe you do it at the meal before your workout. Um, so kind of time it in that sense. Yep. If you want to use it for more of like a, the ergogen- ergogenomic effects, Um, but really incorporating that high percentage of cocoa chocolate is ideal. Now I will say I love milk chocolate, um, delicious, but I think, yeah, but as I've gotten older, I'm not old, but as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate dark chocolate a little bit more, um, especially the ones that are a lot higher Mm -hmm. in that percentage, just because I think it makes me feel a little bit better to eat those. Um, and I would also argue because it's more bitter, it kind of helps curb that like sugar sweetness craving. Like you get a little bit of it, but it's not with milk chocolate. You, I feel like a lot of people kind of get hooked on it then. And it's like, I want more and more and more. Like if I eat a Hershey kiss, I'm eating 27 million. Right. Because it's like (laughs) that little bit of sweetness adds to your desire for more sweetness. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing with the, the milk chocolate too, is to be careful because, the milk or the dairy can decrease the absorption of the flavonoids or flavanols of that stuff, which mm-hmm. are helpful for the the heart disease risk. Yeah. Um, so just being careful of, you know, if you're eating milk chocolate and you're like, I'm healthy because I'm eating chocolate, mm, maybe not really. Yeah. You know, maybe we need to reevaluate what kind of chocolate we're eating yeah. on a daily basis. Uh, the research that I've seen on dark chocolate aiding in recovery mm-hmm. uh, for athletes, it suggests 85% was the minimum that mm-hmm. you needed. So um, I think that's a safe area to just kind of start dabbling into is that 85%. Yeah. If you want to, you know, if you still want something sweet, like we said, that's that's got a little bit of sweetness, you know, you got to know that it's, it's a little bitter, you know. Yeah. Uh, but 
it, it can really, you know, just, just be an aid to, it could be that middle ground of it's giving me something that's a little sweet, but also I'm contributing back or I'm investing back into my body in this way. Right. And if you're used to just having like milk or even like white chocolate, yeah. maybe start at 70 to 72 yeah, and then work before you way. go all the way to 85, yeah. because at that point you might be like, this is disgusting. I'm never eating this ever again. Yeah. I mean, personally, I like the 90%. Yeah, I I like anything from honestly 85 to even 100%. Mm-hmm. I think that they taste fairly similar. Yeah. Another way that you could kind of help bridge that gap is putting the 85 or 90 in something. Yeah. So if you're making like muffins or pancakes mm-hmm. or whatever and you're used to using like semi-sweet or milk chocolate, maybe opt for the the more bitter mm-hmm. because it's it's going to be less um, detectable, I would say, the yeah. flavor. You're still going to taste it, obviously, but it's not so much in your face as if you're just yeah. eating a square of 100% <laughs> yeah. dark chocolate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I love it. Dark chocolate, nitric oxide from beets or beet juice, and, and beta alanine if you're a high-intensity intermittent athlete. There you have it. Thanks for your info, Claire. Yeah, you're welcome. We will catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. See ya.